Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So this is going to be a dedicated uh, episode all about the congressional hearings on the UFO UAP topic, which took place a couple of days ago. Now, I wanted to have a little bit of time to digest the information. You know, as I've mentioned before, I don't like to rush these things out because I think there's so much nuance in there. There's a lot to take in. Obviously, it's been very, very hectic on on UFO Twitter this last few days. So much going on from all angles. And yeah, I I decided to let the dust settle a bit, re-watch it. I've actually watched the entire thing now about three times. And, And what I've tried to do with this is actually reference the times that things that we're talking about were said so if you want to check it out for yourself which you absolutely should do if there's anything particularly interested in certain points you should be able to find the exact time on the video where that thing is discussed and hear it in the wider context and you can obviously get a little bit of from the the mannerisms of the person saying things and and the way everything is, is framed within the wider the conversation that that is happening uh, i will leave the the link to the actual video of the hearings in the description of the the show and you can go and check that out for yourself. And as I say, if there's any interesting bits that you hear me talking about, you can obviously go to that point and, and check it out for yourself as well. And uh, for this episode, I'm very lucky to have with me Chris Sharp, the founder of Liberation Times, who I've had on the show before and uh, has a, a really good knowledge of the topic and has covered it and, and actually written articles about things basically predicting a lot of what was going to happen with these congressional hearings and has been really, really accurate and played a big role recently in uh, bringing that news forward. So with that said, let's get into the actual episode. Okay, so it's uh, my absolute pleasure to welcome back to the show, Chris Sharp. How are you doing today, Chris? Hello there. Um, I'm doing absolutely fa- um, brilliant, thank you. It's been a long few days, hasn't it, with what's come out with the hearing and stuff. So uh, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, but good, in good spirits at the moment. Yeah, it's been very hectic, hasn't it? So uh, what we're going to be talking about today is obviously the recent UFO hearings where just a couple of days ago, for the first time in over 50 years, there has been open congressional hearings on the UFO slash UAP issue. Um, Ronald Moultrie, the top Pentagon intelligence official, and Scott Bray, the deputy director of naval intelligence, were brought in for questioning before a subcommittee of the House Intelligence Committee. I did a, a recent episode with the sort of background of what's led to this and a little bit more about the two individuals who, who were brought in for questioning before the subcommittee. And today we're going to get into what was actually discussed at that hearing and what the positives were, what the negatives were and what we may be able to expect uh, going forward. So you've been quite ahead of the curve on this, Chris. You you reported in Liberation Times on the likelihood of these hearings actually happening before anyone else. So who, who better to join me to break down what actually happened? So before we actually get into some specific points of what was mentioned in the hearing and talk about what we think about each point what what's your kind of overall take on how everything played out chris perfectly 
per- absolutely perfectly. Um, it's all about the aftermath of what happened, in my opinion. And I predicted that more questions would come out of it than answers. And that's exactly what happened. And that's what we need. If we had all the answers, we wouldn't need any more hearing. If we any more hearings, if if we didn't think there was anything up with what was going on, we wouldn't need any more hearings. But if you listen to representatives like Gallagher um, following the hearing, they were not happy because their questions were answered. And from my understanding, that's the feeling amongst a lot of those members of the committee. So now we're going to have even more hearings, from my understanding. And on top of that, I think some of the things that Moultrie and Bray said are going to come back to haunt them potentially as well. In other words, as Lou has alluded to, um, they are boxed in now and Congress is boxing them in. Mellon and Lou have been playing 3D chess all along and are one step ahead of the game. Expect more to come, perhaps um, Senate hearings as well. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I mean, I, I was kind of um, saying before the actual hearing uh, took place a couple of days ago that if if there was no satisfactory answers kind of presented, that was going to light a fire under certain people to really push for you know even more better questions being asked. And you know, if the answers actually were satisfactory, that would also have the same effect of basically kind of more questions, more hearings. So it was kind of a win-win, really. And I think there were there were some very worrying signs, and but there were also a few little positive things to kind of take away from it as well. Personally, on a on a first listen, I was quite excited and happy to see some of the things that were mentioned. Um, but on reflection and kind of watching it back, there were also some what you guess you could class as negative aspects of, of the stigma sort of living on and things. So shall we go through some of the uh, the slightly more perhaps negative points first? So so uh, first off then, presenting that sort of pretty terrible flyby video without any kind of context uh, led to this kind of farcical scene where they, they spent quite a few minutes actually trying to find the object in the video. It's a bit like a bad comedy sketch. And um, the the video itself was seemed to me to have been sort of selected to suggest that that is representative of the quality of the video evidence in general that, that they have. And based on the comments of those who have actually seen the evidence presented in some of the classified briefings and so on, that that particular video doesn't seem to be indicative of the actual level of the evidence that they have. So they just wanted to kind of give that impression, it seems to me. So what are your thoughts on, on that video, Chris? Yes, after the hearing took place, Birch, Birchett, Congressman Birchett, he was fuming because he mm. said he had seen much better quality footage um, in private briefings and... Yeah, they haven't showed that. So he was fuming because of that. And from my understanding, a lot of the, a lot of Congress have seen much better videos than that. Lou has said so as well. Um, they give a false impression. In, from my understanding, they're not. They they, they want to show image. They, they want to show footage. saying, oh, well, that's just nothing. That's what they want the general public to think, basically. Oh, it's just something in the sky. We don't know what that is. Maybe it's a balloon or something. Um, so that's the impression that they want to actually give. Um, when in actual fact, we know, you know, from our understanding that there's much better um, footage actually available um, and images perhaps as well. So, 
yeah, I think that was really disappointing that they actually chose to um, to do that. And then also the, the, the bouquet footage as well, Boca or however you pronounce it, um, although it wasn't clear that it was actually the aperture actually causing you know, some effect like that. Um, you see, you can, you can see that they're choosing that basically because there's already questions surrounding that footage that Corbell released. That was an easy one. They wanted it. They wanted to really get under the skin of some people in the UFO community. But look, facts are facts. If it is Boker, it's Boker. But I would say also regarding that footage, there's a really big question regarding that as well because if these craft are above naval warships, then that is a huge, huge, huge problem, especially if they haven't attempted to communicate or shoot them down. Well, that's against protocol that the Navy actually has, which is really disturbing. You know, Lou said before, and I've had this experience as well in Portsmouth, that if something is coming into the water, a big naval ship, like an aircraft carrier or any other ship, that if you're very, very close to it, there's a chance that you're going to get shot at and they're going to use lethal force. So the fact they're just allowing these things and just watching the pretty lights go past is really, really disturbing. And actually, that might come back to haunt them. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the, the triangle thing. I mean, whether it is the bokeh, however you're supposed to say that word, um, or, or not, the point is it's kind of backfired on them, isn't it? They've, they've sort of presented it as a bit of, oh, you see, it's, it's just a trick of the camera sort of thing. You know, it's just a... But actually, that does suggest that there are things indeed flying over ships that they can't really do anything about. So it sort of actually it proves the opposite point to what I think they were trying to achieve with that. Um but yeah, the the next kind of uh, point is that is that both Bray and Moultrie claim to be unaware of the Malmström Air Force Base, uh, an, an incident uh, where in 1967 Captain Robert Salas and many other witnesses saw a glowing object over a secret launch facility at Malmström Air Force Base followed by 10 nuclear Minuteman missiles being taken completely offline. So uh, at 1.04.30, Representative Mike Gallagher asks about Malmstrom and Bray responds, quote, that data is not within the holdings of the UAP task force, unquote, which Gallagher uh, responds, are you aware of the report that that data exists somewhere? And uh, Moultrie actually responds to that by explaining that they don't look into these things unless they're asked to by an authoritative figure. And Gallagher responds to that with, quote, I don't claim to be an authoritative figure, but I would like you to look into it, unquote. To which Moultrie responds, quote, sure, will do, unquote. So that's kind of worth noting, and it will be interesting to see if they actually do look into it, how that gets followed up. And, and if they don't, then I think they need to be held accountable because that's now on record. But overall, I think that's really quite worrying that they're not well up on such an important case. And it does sort of beg the question, were these two selected for perhaps plausible deniability purposes because they are known to have little knowledge of historical cases and therefore they can't slip up when they're asked about them because they just don't know about them in the first place? Have they just not done the homework and they're not aware of these cases, or do you think there's a possibility that they're actually lying? Well, what do you think of all that? Well, that's very interesting because my co-author in the Daily Mail, Josh Boswell, actually published an article yesterday regarding this, <clears throat> and he actually spoke to Robert Salas. <clears throat> Robert Salas, um, you know, he's obviously spoken repeatedly about it. And he also says that he um, reported it to the government's UFO task force back in 2021. 
So if they don't have that data, that's quite confusing, actually, because that contradicts what Salas is actually saying. Um, obviously, they probably thought that response was quite an easy way out because they think, oh, it happened back in the 60s. So obviously, it would be with the UAP task force. But <laughs> again, that might come back to haunt them if Salas has reported it to them because that's something that they should take account for. I mean, why shrug your shoulders and say, oh, oh well, if you hear about an incident that your most lethal weapons that could destroy the world have been taken down by an unknown craft? I mean, that's hardly something that you would yawn about. You know, that's something that's very, very disturbing. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, there are reports of UAP over nuclear facilities to this day, and it does not seem that any action is taken. Again, this, well, again, sorry, this has something to do with stories I'm working on at the moment. So it's very, very disturbing. There seems a lack of action. And if anything from the US Air Force, there seems to be a stigma surrounding it and people get laughed at and stuff. And I'm sorry, but Moultrie, for Moultrie and Brain not to be aware of this is absolutely ridiculous. And more needs to be done because one day they may just be shot by a foreign adversary who is able to track all their nuclear assets. By the way, UFOs are able to somehow track all the nuclear assets that a nation actually has, including nuclear submarines as well, from my understanding, too. So let's just say that these are Russian or Chinese, for example. Let's play along with it. Or let's even play along that the Russians and Chinese are looking to back engineer this technology. That means that one day, one of those adversary nations could potentially have the ability to take all the U.S., nuclear weapons offline, rendering it defenseless in the event that one of those nations should launch a nuclear attack. That's their deterrent gone. So the fact they've only got two people working on the UAPTF and they haven't even got around to actually recruiting necessary people on the AOIMSG is absolutely ridiculous. And to be, to be, to be honest, I think you know, it's criminal, absolutely criminal. Mm. Yeah, it, it's something that I was was hoping there'd be more questions about as well as to like why the progress of getting AOIMSG up and running and, and you know why why the progress has been so slow because I think that's been a lot of the frustration, hasn't it, from a lot of the people who've been talking about this, a lot of the um, the, the politicians who've been. Uh, angry about that and there was very little questions about that actually asked in terms of you know why they're dragging the feet so much and it's it's also um interesting you say about that thing of everything kind of goes back to what the uap task force have got in in their files which they've got very little in the files because it's only been in existence for i think it's a year and nine months or something some something in the region of that so obviously they're not going to have a lot in their files and i think bray sort of attempted to deflect a lot of times by saying by wording things in, in that way you know it's like um he's not talking about what the the wider government or other departments have, have have got access to is just purely relating it to what the UAP task force has got and then I think again in some cases that was quoted kind of out of context by articles suggesting that there was a lot less to this than, than what there actually is so do you think that's a deliberate thing part of the reason why they've they're only going from 2004 onwards for that reason <clears throat> yeah I, I, I believe so absolutely um but I think that the strategy the big the, the larger strategy is actually to go for the saps this, um, special access programs and for those legacy um, programs that have actually been investigating this, I think that's a broad strategy to open this whole thing up, get some people from the Air Force to go um, and testify, 
get the witnesses to testify. Where do these reports go? Where did these potential threats come from? Stuff like that, basically. I think that needs to be done. Also, perhaps some people from the DOE as well. Remember, part of the DOE's Department of Energy's mission is to protect the nuclear assets of the United States. So they should be coming to the table as well, because it looks like some disturbing things have happened in the past that we know about, um, that we can actually look at, such as the mountain incident. And also, you would notice as well that the... um, Wilson memo came up at the hearing and it was recorded. It was put, it was put in the records. And from my own personal opinion, um, I, I never used to believe it completely. And that's my fault. I'm the fool there. But now my sources are telling me that it seems that it was a real event that happened in terms of the Wilson memo. If they're going after that, then that means that they're going after the legacy programs and that is huge. Yeah, it really seemed to me that a lot, a lot of the questions that were being asked were sort of like insisting on going back to some of these really important cases from the past, whereas the, the Bray and Moultrie really wanted to say, oh, no, no, we're only dealing with 2004 onwards. You know, it's kind of, but I don't think uh, Congress are going to stand for that, really, uh, which is probably or almost certainly a good thing. We'll come back to the Wilson memo in a bit. But, yeah, another thing that was a, a negative point was that quite concerning suggestions of, of holding people accountable, suggesting sort of like a desire to maybe even prosecute certain UFO personalities, um, who that is unclear. But at, at one twelve fifty, Representative Lahood said, quote, false information put out there. What are the consequences of people involved with that, unquote? Now, like I say, it's not clear who he was referring to, but that sort of suggests that there's at least a desire from some people to attempt to prosecute people for putting out what they class as false info. Sort of seems a little bit at odds with free speech, really. I mean, I would say the best way to prevent bad information is to be absolutely transparent with the, the good information, you know, which is sort of what these hearings are all about, really. But rather than pushing to release that good info, LaHood seemed to prefer sort of prosecuting people who put out the bad info. So, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Right. Who has been putting out the bad and misleading information? It's the DOD that's putting, been putting out the bad and misleading information information through someone in the Pentagon who is actually well-versed in psychological warfare. This is absolutely ridiculous. The fact that they've been saying for so long that ATIP wasn't an official program and wasn't even UAP-related was actually contradicted in the hearings itself. So you ask yourself, where is the fake and misleading information actually coming from? And where do the prosecutions need to happen? They need to happen in the DOD's public affairs office and those who are actually signing off such things. That's where they need to take place. Hey, look, perhaps Susan Goff isn't to blame because when you're doing these things and you're just a commons person, you're actually getting the information from those who are above you. So if it's something to do with the under... Secretary um, of Defence for Intelligence, for, for example, then you're going to go to the likes of Gary Reid. If Gary Reid gives you false information... That's Gary Reed's fault. Okay, he signed that off. So, to, to be fair, that, the prosecutions need to happen there. And um, at the end of the day, they, they just do not like transparency, which is at odds with the Biden White House as well. To have Moultrie actually seeming to seemingly agree with La Hood is really, really disturbing. And he he needs to go if he's going to be like that because. Biden came into the office, came into office pledging more government transparency because the lack of transparency led to movements such as Q, 
which I believe are actually being reflected in UFO Twitter right now, which actually led to destabilization and possible civil war in the United States of America. This is a huge issue. And for them to have the... For, for, for them to, to accuse us, potentially, of putting out false narratives and misleading information is absolutely disgusting. Liberation Times, for example, we've been correct since December on this <clears throat> about AIMSG not doing enough and the warning signs being there. We're actually educating the public for our part. And I find it absolutely utterly repelling that a United, you know, someone, someone reflecting um, the executive branch of the United States is actually going there in that in, in that first instance. I mean, that is the country that is supposed to hold the beacon for free speech. Mm. Yeah, I, I was really quite surprised to hear that. I mean, at first I was sort of like trying to figure out what he was even even getting at, but. Yeah, another thing that was um, that was mentioned was the uh, just a few of these uh, types of things actually happened. But the the undersea uh, capabilities were referred to the closed hearing, and I think there was a couple of other times where things were sort of deflected. Oh, we'll come back to that in, in the classified briefing sort of thing. I, and I just sort of wish that somebody would have asked a bit more of a direct follow up question to that, like. For example, has, has there been any UAP detected that display transmedium capabilities? Because whether or not that was, you know, space to to air into the Earth's atmosphere or from air into water, if the answer to that was yes, it would immediately rule out a lot of things. You wouldn't necessarily have to reveal sources and methods if you just to answer yes or no. So. Yeah, hopefully we'll see some sort of tougher follow-up questions and things like that. But what what are your thoughts on things being deflected into the uh, the classified part of the uh, of the hearing? <clears throat> well, from listening to excuse me, um, Gallagher speak afterwards, he said that even the unclassified, sorry, the, the classified version of the hearing was disappointing as well, and he mm. still felt that his answers perhaps were not um, I'm sorry his questions were not answered so I mean I doubt there was little much more in there that we could have got it seems that the DOD is trying to lock this cage yet again um, and put the, um, the, ice, the toothpaste back in the tube let's say <laughs> um, but the problem is it's already out there in terms of the submarine stuff I think yeah the US and every other nation out there especially with the nuclear deterrent historically been very, very cautious about saying anything about capability under there um, because of the deterrent. Um, but I wish someone did ask, actually, you might be able to correct me, maybe someone did ask it, um, about the Tic Tac object and whether it was trapped coming from space. I would love to, I, I would love to hear, hear someone t say about that. That'd yeah, really though... There was a bit of a mention of the Tic Tac, but nothing to do with it coming from space or anything like that. And like you say, these are the kinds of follow-up questions that, like, you know, I would have loved to to have heard when when the Tic Tac was was mentioned. I think Bray actually brought it up, actually, but yeah, there wasn't there wasn't too much of a follow-up uh, on on that particular point. But just going back to the undersea capabilities, um, I, I actually did a FOIA request over the last few weeks to the UK Hydrographic Office. Um, asking about USOs and you know UAP and, and whatnot, and they actually got back to me with a kind of semi-interesting response, which is unusual for fire requests in the UK, where they were basically just saying that their systems automatically filter off anything that's not, um, you know, fitting into the parameters of uh, marine life or an obstacle. 
So it could be that what they're trying to say there is that, especially here in the UK, that things maybe are being detected, but anything that moves over a certain speed is 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 actually filtered off and not logged by their system because it doesn't reflect, um, you know, something that could be a, a danger to a shipping route. So I'm going to follow that up, and that'll be interesting to uh, to see if I get anything further back on that. Just thought I'd mention that because it sort of links. But um, anyway, moving on to some actually kind of semi-positive points that, that came up in, in the course of the, the hearing. And uh, the first one is the um, the AIM-SOG, which is a bit of a weird pronunciation, but it seems to be the one favoured uh, by Mr. Mr. Carson. Um, and, and the possible name change f- from AOI-MSG in the future. I thought that probably is a good thing if, if it does indeed get changed because nobody likes that acronym. It's a real clangor, you know. So how do you feel about the possibility of a name change for the AOI MSG? And do you think that name will change and maybe even where it's located as well? Will we finally get our Astro back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a really, really good question um, <clears throat> because, I mean, AIMSOC is just a joke trying to actually redo the um, you know, make it from an initialism to an acronym. <laughs> um, uh, it was just really, really silly. I'd love to have my Astro back, personally. Um, that'd be great. Non-climate was given to the DOD uh, following the um, congressional legislation passing, and I was hoping that they would actually, you know, the, the first, one of the first signs, actually, that I was looking at, that the DOD was going to try to change track on this issue, was actually changing the name from um, AOIMSG to Astro or something like that. And that, that was one of the signs that I was looking for that, you know, they were thinking, okay, the game's up. We need to be more transparent now. But when that did not happen, that's when my spidey senses started to, um, to come up, you know? Uh, so, um, yeah, no, Astro, definitely. I'm, I'm pro Astro. Yeah. And, and do you think there's a, a possibility that the AOI MSG will be moved as well, like to a, a different location within, you know, the sort of government? Yes, I, I, I'm, I'm really, really hoping that it is, um, or at the very, very least, um, that Space Force plays a major part um, along with Space Command um, and a lot of these other intelligence officers that have capability um, to date, you know, to get data from our atmosphere and other such places as well. I think that Huntsville. And Colorado Springs are going to be very, very important in the future, let's say. I mean, you look at the um, the new supposed director of AOIMSG. He's based in Huntsville, Alabama at the moment. Um, I think he's um, DDI at the moment. That's where he's located. Um, but there's also, from my understanding, Space Command there as well. Um, and there's lots of military contractors in Huntsville. Eric Davis, his contractor, is based there as well. So it seems to me that it's quite an important location. And then we've got Colorado Springs. Uh, obviously, you've got Peterson Space Force based there, formerly Air Force Base. If you remember the Tom's launch story, his first meeting, from my understanding, was at Peterson Air Force Base. Um, and Colorado Springs is where you've got this huge mountain facility that the U.S. has in it. They've got NORAD there and all sorts of capabilities there as well. So I think that'd be a perfect location. Well, both would be perfect locations to actually, you know, have some kind of presence there, let's say. Mm. Yeah. So moving on from that, another um, 
uh, interesting kind of positive point was the 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 Tic Tac uh, incident, basically confirmed as being still unsolved. And um, to me, that that kind of confirmed that the the classified data rules out, or at least you know suggests that it's there is no prosaic explanation. At one twenty three forty, Bray actually stated, "Quote." 2004 incident from Nimitz, we have data on that and it simply remains unresolved, unquote. So, you know, from things that uh, that I've seen with skeptics and debunkers kind of bringing up repeatedly that if you could see the radar tapes and the other classified data, that the whole thing would be easily debunked. And it's not exactly clear as to the extent of, of what data they, they actually do have, but it suggests to me that that they do indeed have sensor data and that even with that classified data, the case still remains unexplained. So that to me was actually very significant. Have you got any thoughts that you'd like to add on on that? I think that's perfect way of putting it. Uh, it seems to <laughs> kind of burst a bubble of Mick West, for example. Uh, but I would also <clears throat> add as well, do they have the full data on that? Mm. Has the Air Force shared data on that incident, for example? That'd be interesting to know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's the kind of follow-up questions that we would love to see, isn't it? Like they've said, you know, the, the, the actual statement, I think a lot of them are deliberately vague. Some of them might just be coincidentally vague, but his actual words were, go back to that quote, uh, we have data on that. Okay, what data? You know, like you say, the, the, the ideal follow-up would have been that, wouldn't it? Um, but we shall see uh, if anything else kind of... Um, comes out on that side of things but the, i'm a bit of a an obsessive with the nimitz case so that was something that i really picked up on um so yeah going back to the the wilson memo you mentioned earlier so the wilson memo is a document that's basically been circulating for years allegedly a transcript of a con- conversation between eric davis and admiral tom wilson where they discussed wilson's frustration at being unable to access secret program involving the reverse engineering of recovered non-human technology so this document was not only mentioned but also entered into the congressional record and again this was brought up by mike gallagher who was kind of the hero of the day really um the whole five minutes of questions that he had were excellent and he he really kind of fiercely you know asked the questions that we really wanted to know the answers to uh, at one oh six fifteen, he said quote are you aware of the admiral admiral wilson memo unquote and bray responded to that well i'm not personally aware of that unquote and moultrie uh, actually agreed and then gallagher responded to that by requesting unanimous consent to enter that memo into the record and the memo then was entered without objections now in the aftermath lou elizondo and sean cahill have kind of been a bit more open about their thoughts on the wilson memo as well since that happened like you said earlier i've been a bit you know unsure on it i've never been a hundred percent decided either way on the wilson memo but this really seems like a bit of a a step further from Lou and, and Sean sort of endorsing that the document actually is genuine. So my question to you is, do you think we'll see more of the Wilson memo actually playing a part in, in further hearings? Potentially. And if that does occur, it will be the biggest news story of the last 100 years. I... 
don't want to play this down at all because it is absolutely staggering that this could be real. And I think what needs to happen, and Burchett mentioned this <clears throat> after the hearing, is perhaps another law needs to be passed to ensure that whistleblowers are protected, which is now why it comes back to amnesty, why it's so important. Because if Wilson was talking about that to Eric Davis, for example, in an unsecure location, and he wasn't even supposed to be talking about it in the first place, he's broken the law. So if he speaks about that and if he admits it at the moment, the guy is going to jail. If you provide that protection for him in law, potentially you could see both Davis and Wilson testify before a congressional committee and um, put your seatbelts on for that, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely insane. I mean, when I first watched it, you know, even just the mention of, of the Wilson memo, was it kind of blew me away that that actually got mentioned in, in that setting. You know, really quite a, a, a huge thing to happen. And like you say, it it does kind of beg the question of, of whether some kind of amnesty, you know, is, is seems inevitable at this point now that if you want these people to actually come forward and give their version of events on some of those things that have happened in the past, that some kind of amnesty program surely is, is the next step. You, you see that happening fairly soon? I think so. I think it has to. More hearings are coming, I believe. And one would think my political mind is telling me that they need to happen before the summer recess. Because once Congress comes back, it's going to be in campaign mode before the midterms occur in November. So if I'm right, I may not be right. I am wrong sometimes. Um, my wife would say most of the time. Um, and uh, <laughs> and if, I, if I'm right, then that means that perhaps we could see something, you know, um, come up in the next few, few days or weeks in terms of a new law. And then... Following that, there are going to be uh, more hearings. Mm. Yeah, we shall we shall see how it all uh, plays out. Did you say you think that um, that that the midterm is coming up? Did you say, or is it the uh, the summer recess? I, f I forget what you that you mentioned. Oh, sure. So um, recess is coming up in Congress. Um, don't quote me on the date. Uh, I think it must be late July. Um, Congress recess happens okay so there's an august recess there is an august recess each year um so each august every every august um they go on holiday basically the politicians go on holiday and um there are no committees or anything taking place um and then they come back in september and they restart what they were doing however i think when you're starting hearings and something so important it, it makes sense that you kind of hold them up for a little bit, especially if politicians and stuff are campaigning throughout the country. Um, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. As Gallagher was saying yesterday, multiple hearings are held each day by congressional com committees and stuff like that. So who knows? But I, I just feel as well, part of my thinking is that when you're going into midterms, those, po those politicians that have spoken up about UAP could be attacked. Look, we've seen that already. You know, we, we've seen it from Rand Paul. We even, we even saw Crawford take some digs, you know, 
at the fact that hearings were taking place. So I, I think that's playing through the minds of some politicians who have really like, you know, hammered their name onto this topic. So I, I think they want to be vindicated before the midterm to protect themselves. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah, so there was moving on from that. There was also a few other interesting little uh, nuggets of information confirmed as well, which I'll, I'll quickly go through. Which I think um, e- each of these little uh, snippets probably won't be music to the skeptics' ears, uh, as several favoured explanations are kind of further ruled out. Really, um, just after forty-eight minutes, Bray is asked about how many cases in the 144 cases mentioned in the UAP task force report included multiple sensors. And uh, Bray responds, quote, the majority had multi-sensor data, unquote. At 48.55, the question is asked about the 18 objects mentioned in the UAP task force report last year that demonstrated advanced technology. Quote, are we aware of any adversary capable of moving without any discernible means of propulsion, unquote, to which Bray responded, quote, we're not aware of any adversary that can move an object without discernible means of propulsion, unquote. And it was also confirmed that there's been 11 near misses. So these things, in a lot of cases, are not distant blobs. You know, they're often quite close indeed. And uh, at 1.30, uh, no seconds, Bray asked about, secret uh, US was asked about secret US vehicles and he responded quite definitively quote we are quite confident that that is not the explanation unquote so it's kind of getting harder and harder for certain skeptical narratives it would seem what what are your thoughts on that are the the skeptics left clutching at straws at this point (laughs) they're left left on the floor um, crying with their toys on the carpet. Um, <laughs> that's what I left doing. Um, uh, yeah, their bubble is their bubble is getting smaller and smaller, and soon it's going to burst. Um, and let's see where they go then. Um, it's quite interesting <laughs> because a lot of people are just going to be in denial. Look at you know some. I'm not. I'm not going to name someone on here, but let's look at some people who seem to be having a midlife crisis on UFO Twitter. Um, I'm actually quite worried about them. I am really worried about the, some people because obviously they're having a difficult time processing this topic. And I think some of them need kind of um, psychological in- intervention. Uh, that's just me. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's becoming increasingly clear that um, the US, the United States, the biggest new, what the biggest uh, military power on the globe that spends a disproportionate amount of its wealth on the military does not have control over its own airspace. And that should worry everyone. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think you, you've, you've got a good point, you know, with the um, certain people might need, you know, a, b- a bit of help kind of thing. And that's not not to uh, sort of, you know, speak badly of them even. It's, it's, a, it's a really quite difficult thing to actually get your head around, isn't it? I mean, this topic can definitely chew people up and spit them out, you know, and, and in, in some cases when you're kind of backed into a corner and, and forced to accept the realisation that there's something really quite profound that may be going on, it's it's quite huge, isn't it, really? And, and yeah, I think there's a, a lot of tough questions that are going to have to be asked and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, just hopefully the, the various people who, uh, you know, who, who might need that help, you know, get the help uh, that they need. And, uh, 
you know, we'll see how it all all plays out with that. So, so after this hearing that's just happened the uh, last couple of days, have you got any ideas of how things are going to move along from this? Then, like we mentioned earlier, that this has kind of left us with a lot more questions than it than it has answers. So, what do, what do you think the next steps are actually going to be? So, firstly, you need a new law, in my opinion, to protect whistleblowers. Um, and then secondly, you need more hearings to take place, uh, maybe multiple committees. It could, be, um, it could be the House Committee on Intelligence. Look, um, the fact that Representative Schiff was there was very, very important. He does not usually sit in that committee, although he does have the freedom to, as the chair of the larger House Committee. So the fact that he was there was very, very important. I think he's going to have a very important role to play. He sits on the Gang of Eight, which means that he may be privy to more intelligence on this as well. And I think that he is a, quite an ambitious politician and perhaps, you know, he'll want to run with this, which would be great. Um, yeah. And I think in these new hearings, they're going to get witnesses. Um, they're going to get Lou Elizondo perhaps as well. And people like that to testify. And maybe they'll get Wilson. Maybe they'll get Davis. They might get Robert Salas. Maybe they'll get some other witnesses that we're aware of. Maybe there have been nuclear incidents that we we haven't heard about in the last few years that will come into the committee. So I, I think that's going to happen. But um, Representative Gallagher did allude to um, some more kind of closed hearings on this topic as well so i'd expect that i'd expect some more frustrations in terms of oh yeah you've got a public hearing and now it's going to be a closed hearing where's the transparency so you're probably going to get more complaints about that as well but look they're not a happy bunch at the moment these guys are not happy um these representatives and i think there's gonna be many many more questions that they have um and i, and I really think that once you <laughs> once you get gillibrand and rubio uh <laughs> questioning these guys expect fireworks yeah absolutely I, I think sort of what this hearing showed is that, that some of the the congress people were asking excellent questions you know others perhaps not that you know there were there were some that, that that sort of seemed like the questions were still a little bit rooted in a little bit of uh, the stigma that's persisted for for a long long time but but others uh, particularly uh, mike gallagher schiff as you mentioned i thought mr carlson was fantastic really really good and putting sort of star performances really as, as i said earlier i think mike gallagher was my sort of man of the match you know hero of the day but Im imagine if you would have had you know you know tim Burchett, you know gillibrand mike gallagher was there as well that they would absolutely grill whoever's put in front of them with really really well informed questions you know particularly tim Burchett. i think agree with his, his, his wider view of politics or not, he really would go for the jugular if he ever got asked to, you know, be on one of these uh, committees to, to actually be asking the questions. So do you think we, there's a possibility that we might see Tim Bircher actually being the one to, to ask some questions in, in future hearings? From my understanding, Tim Bircher does not sit on any of these um, committees. So from my understanding, he doesn't sit on... Wait, he doesn't sit on any intel committees. Um, uh, but I would say, so I'm just looking at committees at the moment. Yes, I mean, he's on... I mean, yeah, it could happen. It could happen because he is on the Committee of Foreign Affairs. So you could, you could lump 
UAP under this um, under this committee, perhaps, especially if you kind of like come at the angle that it could be um, you know foreign in terms of ad- adversarial text. So that could happen. And also remember as well that committees do change; they they can have reshuffle and stuff like that. And I would love, I, I like you, I'd love Burchett to kind of grill um, these guys, and he would go for the juggler. I agree. So yeah, I think it'd be quite interesting. But I think what you learned there in that committee is that not every uh, politician is on top of their brief and um, on top of a topic that they're having hearings about. Remember that they have like so many hearings every day. Um, so it must be quite difficult to keep on top of every topic. Um, but from my understanding, there are a select few um, politicians and they've been privy to information and data that has changed their life and they are rethinking their, their lives because what they've seen has shaken them to the core. Um, but yeah, I can't say that for everyone though. And obviously you're gonna have um, skeptics too. I mean, politicians reflect wider society in a lot of cases. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, just going back to, I was mentioning about skeptics earlier and, and the narratives that skeptics have kind of have, have gone along with and, and some of those seem to be a little bit less, you know, sort of realistic now, I guess, you know, with the, the more and more information that, that's coming to light. But, you know, just to kind of put out a little message of unity, uh, you know, in, in a way, actually, everybody should be in favour of more transparency on this, really. Whether you're a sceptic, whether you're a hardcore you know, believer or whatever, we should all want to, to see more transparency because actually what that's going to do is give us access to the information to actually figure out what's actually going on with this mystery. Whether you're a sceptic, whether you're a hardcore believer, you know, we should all be pushing for the same thing, essentially. Um, so do you think that the, there may be a realisation of that or do you think that the UFO community is going to remain sort of divided and, and the divisions may get worse? Do you have any predictions on that? I think the divisions may get worse. There's a lot of people with grievances about Lou, um, the fact that they're not getting much attention anymore. You know, this topic used to be something that just a few people kind of had control of the narrative over. Um, and... They didn't really have much competition, let's say. Now, all of a sudden, all these new upstarts and stuff are coming about and challenging them, and they don't like it. They, they really don't like it because they've got a little cottage industry running, and this threatens them. This is a direct threat to their living, basically. So I think you've got personal kind of like reasons coming into it as well. You've got um, people with just mental, people who are just mentally disturbed or just negative, negative, horrible people, you know. I've seen it myself just in terms of the attacks, you know, people just have, never have a nice thing to say. Um, and then you just get people who screw things up, basically. They might screw things up with a, a good source, let's say, or a good contact because they're trying to get ratings or something like that. And then because of that, they turn on, you know, their former friends, let's say. And it's, yeah, there's, there's so many reasons um, for people to be skeptical. And perhaps as well that, you know, let's just say that some people might be some people might be paid by other interests, let's say, to kind of um, shoot this topic down. And gains are being paid. Look, off-record conversations can happen. And, you know, any good journalist will never talk about those off-topic conversations. So who knows what's happening in the background? So, yeah, it's, um, I think it, there's a plethora of different reasons. And Mick, Mick West, funny enough, 
I think that, I think one of the reasons why he's so skeptical is because as a child he was scared of aliens <laughs> or something like that. So yeah, there's some real um, personal stuff going on. I think personally, I think we need a shrink on UFO Twitter. <laughs> yeah, the U- the UFO shrink. If you're out there listening, get in touch. We'll hook it up. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, I, I kind of feel for Mick West though. I mean, to be honest, I. Uh, I used to be terrified of the movie E.T. Um, when I was very, very small. So uh, I was also a bit scared of, of, of aliens. <laughs> so I get it, Mick. I see where you're coming from. But yeah, I don't know. It, like I say, it, it sort of baffles me, particularly with the more debunker type of um, you know community, why they're not pushing for transparency as hard as the rest of you know UFO Twitter is. Because like I said earlier, surely we would all want that because the, the better data and information you've got in front of you... Um, you know, the better you can actually figure out what's actually going on. And it, it seems like, uh, you know, since we've mentioned Mick West, he was he was trying to make a point on Twitter yesterday that there is no public interest in it. And he, he posted a picture of an empty, empty dock of chairs, which just it just seemed absolutely bizarre because, I mean, uh, from what I understand of it, th- those chairs can't be full because there's still COVID regulations in place. And also on top of that, if you look at the actual video on YouTube, it, the the previous hearings from the last like couple of weeks have got like four thousand views, five thousand, two thousand, and then this one from two days ago has got like half a million views. So it's obvious that there is a massive amount of public interest in this, and it's in everybody's interest to get more transparency, and more information, and uh, it's just a case of like how much transparency we're going to get, really, and and you know when it's likely to to actually happen. So uh, yeah, have you have you got any kind of general conclusions then about the the hearings that we can uh, sort of wrap up with? I would just add to that as well that our story that we broke in the Daily Mail, Josh and I, was actually the top story in the US in terms of the Daily Mail. It was huge news. It's outright lied to say that there was no interest in the topic. It's absolutely ridiculous. I like to think that you know, imagine that. Um, E.T. does land on the White House lawn, for example. I'd love to imagine that there are some people in the crowd saying, what about ATIP and ALSAP? <laughs> and there's some people as well saying, hmm, alien looks like a balloon or something yeah. like that. You will never please them. You will never please them, uh, which is quite funny. Uh, but yeah, going back to your question, sorry, I, I digress. Um, yes, I, I, I personally think... Um, in my own opinion, people should prepare themselves because it is pretty scary. Um, I feel a little bit, you know, I'm excited but scared myself. But from my understanding, things, big things are coming. Um, and I just think people need to prepare because it could be a rude awakening for some. Um, but, I mean, hopefully, in the wider picture, it's going to be exciting times in terms of the world changing for the better. I believe that there needs to be UN action as well, that Russia, China and the US and other countries need to get together and say, look, we've all got the same problem. Let's just dedicate two weeks just to working together on this one issue. You know, We know that you've been seeing the same things. It was mentioned at the hearing that China had set up its own UAP task force as well. And I think we need to work together with them on this. Let's just see how we get on for two weeks, you know. And if we can work together... We can put a war, you know, we can put an end to the war in Ukraine um, and we can make life so much better for everyone, especially if we're studying this technology together. 
and we come together as a world because we can't mess up anymore. We don't live in the 1800s anymore where you can just start wars with another country and feel like there's no consequence for the wider region. If there's one step, wrong step taken these days, it could be the end of everything on this world because we have nuclear weapons. So we need to come together. Um, that's my main message. But yeah, in terms of hearings, that there's more, there's more to come. Um, expect lots of fireworks. And um, I think there's going to be a few rude awakenings, a few shocks on their way. But I'm very, very happy about the way it's going. Yeah, is that some of that kind of coming from from what you're hearing from sources and things like that, or is is that more of like of a of a gut feeling of the way things are going? It's my spidey senses, and um, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's my intuition. Every story, I don't know if many people know this, but every story that I write for the Liberation Times comes from intuition. I just get a feeling about something, and. Um, I write a story about it basically and I do my research, I do my due diligence and um, yeah, that's how I go about it. So they haven't let me down so far and um, I'm hoping that we, we are getting really, really big things to come. Um, so I, I would watch this space because I think the general public needs to be educated about this topic as a whole as well. Um, today, on the day of recording, there should be a story released in the Daily Mail that I've written along with Josh about the Ruhr incident. And I think people just need to kind of like educate themselves. This stuff's been happening for a long time. And um, we should all be on a path to discovering more about it. Because once we discover more about the phenomenon, we can discover more about our own humanity, our own origins, our place in the universe. And I think we deserve to know that. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting you say about the intuition. I think it's. Um, I was wondering if you had a, a crystal ball. Quite frankly, some of the predictions you've made recently have been so on point. But yeah, it's, I think when you have that bigger picture or, or awareness of the way things are heading, you know, add that to your own intuition, and then obviously, you know, you you kind of go through your due diligence and and back everything up that you're talking about with with sources and you know all the rest of it as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really uh, helpful what you've been doing to kind of bring everybody else up to date with uh, what's going on. And yeah, if I could sort of add a bit of a uh, things to conclude that the main thing is, is, is what I said before, you know, this hearing a couple of days ago, that if the, the answers were satisfactory, it'd light a fire under certain people who would push for, for more hearings, you know, that that's if the answers were good and there was interesting things that were brought forward. If the answers weren't good, then, People wouldn't be satisfied with that, and they would they'd light a fire under them in a different way, and, and and push for for more hearings, better questions, more progress. And, and as it as it turns out, the answers were overall, I think, not all satisfactory. And as you know, Luella Zondo said after the hearings, many in Congress are, are not happy at all. And obviously, that's you're hearing the same things there, uh, from what I gather. And they're just not getting the answers or the urgency that they need. And and I think we'll uh, we will definitely see some more hearings. And everyone has to just remember, you know, those out there thinking that this is a, a, a nothing burger and all the rest of it. This is just the beginning. The so the seeds that were sown over the last couple of days, you know, we'll see the results of that over the coming months and the coming years. Um, I, I think that's that's fair to say, and it's going to be very exciting to see how it how it does progress. And I just want to say as well, Chris, you know, well done for what you've done recently because you really have. I don't know if you realise it or not, but you've changed the way the topic is represented in the mainstream press here in the UK. Your your article on UFOs was 
as you said earlier, the top article on the the Daily Mail, you know, and uh, on on the website. And and not only that, it was well informed, properly written article that that actually takes the UFO topic seriously as it deserves to be. So, sincerely, thank you for that, and uh, a big well done to you. Thank, thank you, my friend. Um, hopefully, the. There's much more to come um, from me on this topic. And I just want to create a better world for my son. So when I'm writing these stories, I'm hoping that, you know, each word that I write, hoping that it kind of like brings about more developments and moves the ball along so that we can kind of like enter into a new world of peace and harmony and greater technology that's going to benefit everyone's lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate that, mate. Yeah, not a problem at all, and and hey, I know exactly how you feel because uh, I'm a father as well, and it it definitely does make you consider things in a, in a in a different light um, when when that happens in your life, doesn't it? So, um, well, I think I think we'll wrap it up there for now, Chris. I'm sure everybody knows uh, how to get hold of you on social media anyway. But having said that, you've got a new Twitter, haven't you? Since last time we spoke, so what's your Twitter handle? Can you remember? Can I remember? Uh, yes. So it's. Uh, oh, let me check. <laughs> um, it's at Chris UK Sharp. That's where you can find me. And obviously, my Liberation Times account is at Liberation Times. And yeah, just um, feel free to talk to me. I mean, I'm getting more <laughs> messages each day now, so I can't promise that I'll be back to you straight away. But I aim to answer every message. And I've created so many good friends on here. And um, it's just been brilliant. I hope to meet some more friends. So feel free to contact me anytime, guys. Perfect. Well, thanks very much. I really appreciate you joining me for this, uh, Chris. It's been a, It's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much. No, the pleasure is mine. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I'm a huge fan of what you do as well. Thank you very much. UFO Podcast.